Well, it really is terrific to be here. Uh, so enjoyed having today here. It's great to be this morning with the guys and then uh, have lunch with these beautiful people over in Chinatown. And uh, great to be back here tonight. I'm so encouraged. I was here a year ago, less a week. I was here on Marathon Sunday last year, which must mean it's one year less a week as it's Marathon Sunday again next week while you're at Ashburnham. And it's just so exciting to see what God's doing in this church. You weren't in two services last, last year. You were just in the morning. And it was amazing to be here with a, a big crowd this morning and then a big crowd again this evening. So fantastic. Uh, really exciting to see what's happening here. And this, this is a significant day for this church as we recognize Andrew and Jeremy as elders. And I want to speak into that and talk about why we're doing that and what that means. It's slightly strange because we, of course, did this this morning. And so we recognized them as elders this morning and prayed for them this morning. And it's like... So you can look at it two ways. Either this morning was kind of, we did it and we're just kind of repeating it, or this morning was a dress rehearsal and we're now doing it properly. <laughs> so I think probably the second way around we should look at it, that tonight we're doing it properly, this morning was just a practice, uh, tonight is a real deal. In all seriousness, we wanted to do it at both services because uh, this is a church that meets in two, in two meetings and we wanted to honour both, both meetings and um, there's nothing wrong with kind of doing the things we want to do twice in terms of the the expectations we want to talk about and the promises that Andrew and Jeremy are going to make and what we're asking of you as a, as a congregation as well. And um, it's also just worth thinking about the, the bigger picture because uh, who's been here for more than a year in this church? A handful. So most of you less than a year. Wow. So especially for those who have been around for more than a year, this might seem a little bit strange because Andrew and C started the church three, three years ago, three and a bit years three and a half years ago. Uh, so Andrew's been leading it all the way through, and then this team has grown with Jeremy and with Luke and with Danny and, and with Eugene. And you might think, well, why? what's happening? What's the difference about eldership? What's the shift? It might all seem a little bit strange, and uh, you might have some questions about that in terms of recognizing Andrew and Jeremy as elders, and at the moment Luke and Danny are not becoming elders, and Eugene has uh, step back off the leadership team at this point to focus on other stuff. So even some of these terms might be a little bit confusing. And if you're new, as obviously most of you are, been here even less than a year, you might be from churches from different backgrounds, and the whole thing might be a little bit confusing in terms of what's going on. So headlines are that, in a sense, nothing changes. That the team that was leading the church continues to lead the church, just as they have been leading the church for these three and a half years. But in another sense... Everything changes because what we're doing today is to recognize this kind of gear shift in the life of Grace Church, which comes when you recognize and appoint elders. The Apostle Paul writes to his friend Titus and says to his friend Titus, put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. And what you, the kind of impression you get there of what was happening was that the Apostle Paul and Titus and his companions were whizzing around the Mediterranean area. They were starting churches in every town they could get to. And churches got going, congregations were formed like this, but there was still stuff that needs to be done. And one of the important things that needs to be done as churches grew from being started to being mature churches was to have elders appointed to lead and look after, to shepherd those churches. And so what's happening tonight actually kind of is a reflection of that New Testament church planting model that this church has planted. It's got going. There's now a big crowd of people coming, needing to meet in two services. Wow, fantastic. It's time to complete some of the things which are unfinished. And one of the unfinished things is to appoint elders, which is what we're doing today. 
And so this really is about maturity. It's about Grace Church coming into a new season of maturity. And also we trust God a new season of fruitfulness and a new season of power. That We believe that as we pray for these guys that uh, it's not just going through the motions. It's not just ticking off a list. But we're, we pray for them. We recognize them expecting them to receive a fresh impartation from God that even though they're doing the same things they have been doing, that somehow they'll do it with a, a kind of a, a biggerness about them, a spiritual in, enlargement because of, of what happens today. So I hope that makes sense. Now, the, my, my go-to passage for, for occasions like this is First Thessalonians 5. And um, I'm not going to speak from that because I've, actually as I came in this evening, I thought I'd speak from a different passage so I spoke from First Thessalonians 5 this morning, and is that going to be on the, on the website? Do you record? Probably. Either or. So I'd encourage you to, to listen to this morning's message, but I just felt as we started this evening that I should uh, speak from a different passage, not least maybe to give these guys a slightly different angle on uh, what I spoke about this morning. Uh, so it's always somewhat, I, don't, I hardly ever do this, this is, this is risky, but I'm getting on a train in an hour, so if it's a disaster... <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, and so doing this, I've only done this once or twice before. When you're, when you're preaching unprepared, in, in that, as I, I'm unprepared for this passage, it could either be a very, very short message or it can be a very, very long message. So pray for God's grace. Um, so uh, rather than 1 Thessalonians 5, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and um, this is a passage which we did read this morning as it talks about... Elders and how they're to function in church life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Pray that you would speak to us. Pray that you would speak through these words of Scripture. We believe that your word given to us in the Bible is, is your word, God breathed, given to us for our instruction, our strengthening, our edification. I pray for that for us this evening. I pray that we would, Lord, together there be a mutual receiving from you through your word. And as we recognize Andrew and Jeremy, there would be a, an empowering that comes upon them and a stepping up for this church, stepping up in maturity. So I pray you'd help us be with us. Grace be towards us tonight, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is, as I say, an unprepared message, but it's not unprepared in the sense this is a, a passage and a theme that I've thought about, and there are things here which I think are really helpful for Andrew and Jeremy to think about in terms of what it is to be an elder, and for you as a congregation to think about in terms of understanding what elders are, what they're for. So Peter begins, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter is an apostle. He's been sent by God. He has a particular commission by God, particular responsibility of, of looking after a whole bunch of churches, probably having authority. Peter was the disciple who was 
first in line when Jesus was around. He was uh, Peter, Peter the enthusiast, Peter the one who got into trouble the whole time because his mouth always ran ahead of him and he said things and couldn't follow through. But then Peter was recognized by Jesus as having a particular role. Uh, amongst the 12 disciples, Peter's the leader. He's the big figure. And so here's, here's an apostle, here's a, a leader amongst leaders, but he also describes himself as an elder amongst elders. And when we think about how leadership functions in the church, that's, that's actually really important. And that's, that's kind of encouraging. And I think there's a particular resonance for us in our day because in our culture, we are nervous and suspicious of hierarchy. We're suspicious of, of power structures. And uh, one of the suspicions that many people have about the church is it's all a kind of a, a power stitch-up. That's what it's about. And if you're not actually part of this church, maybe not even a believer here tonight, maybe you have some suspicions about the church because what the church looks like is a hierarchical institution all about some people at the top holding on to power in order to gain in some way. And so it's, it's really fascinating that Peter described himself as a fellow elder. Here he is as somebody who been with Jesus. He was the leader of the twelve. Uh, once Jesus had returned to his father's glory in heaven, Peter was the one kind of who stepped forward as the, as the leader of the bunch. He, he could claim all kinds of things for himself, but he says, I'm an elder amongst other elders. And part of the way that eldership functions, if, if it's to be healthy, the way that leadership is meant to function in a church is mutuality, respect for one another, equality. And so, the way that works practically is that Andrew is the team leader. Every team ends up with a leader. Every team needs a leader. But Jeremy and Andrew, elders together, there's an equality of eldership. There's not one elder has more authority than another elder in that sense. They're both elders. We're recognizing them both tonight, praying for them both to receive a fresh anointing from God. And then there's a leadership team which functions with Luke and Danny as part of that Team. So the fact that these men are being recognized as elders doesn't undermine the leadership role and responsibility of Luke and Danny. Luke's excellently hosted this evening's meeting for us. He's a leader in the church, recognized as such, and there's a, a working together. And then with the worship team, Kaylee was leading the band tonight. She had authority in that, freedom in that. That's how it's meant to be. In the church, there is leadership. There is authority, as we'll unpack as we go through. There, there, there is a power, in a sense, which these men have ex- to exercise in the name of Jesus. But there's also this wonderful kind of mutuality and equality. And so Peter says, I'm an elder amongst other elders, not an elder over you guys. A fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Paul, uh, Peter says that he has seen Christ's sufferings. Now, of course, he had. He was there. Of course, we know the story. Peter actually was the one who said, I'll be with you, I'll stick with you, and then ran away. Jesus was very aware of the sufferings that Christ had endured. He knew what that meant because he'd tasted it himself. He'd known the horror of it, and he'd known the personal terror of what was happening. He'd fled himself in fear at what he'd seen happening to Jesus at the time of Christ's trial and crucifixion. But he's also one who shares, partakes in the glory that is going to be revealed. He's seen something of the incredible majesty of Jesus by God's grace. Peter, for his failure, wasn't cast out, but he was welcomed back in. Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus back to life. He 
laid his hands on him. He, he sat on the beach eating fish with the resurrected Jesus. Amazing. He saw the glory of God. And so he's seen suffering and he's seen glory and that defines his ministry. And that's true for us now in some way as well. Now it's obviously different for us. Neither Andrew nor Jeremy or myself, any of us have, have sat on a beach with Jesus eating fish. None of us were there at the time of his crucifixion. But there is a sense in which we still share in the sufferings and partake in the glory of Christ. And those who are called to be elders in the church, there's a particular way in which we are to experience the sufferings of Christ and know, partake in, share in his glory. And so elders need to be ready for both those things. And certainly my experience as an elder, and I've been an elder now for the best part of 20 years, um, is I have known both suffering as an elder and I've also known glory. And there's a, a cost there and a privilege which elders have. There is suffering. Because when you're seeking to serve Christ, that the way of Christ at times involves suffering. It means doing things which are costly and difficult and painful. And it also means feeling the pain of things which happen in the body of Christ in a particularly acute way. If you, um, most of you are not yet parents, but when you're a parent and your children suffer, which they do because everybody suffers, as a parent you feel the suffering of your child, you feel the pain of your child in a particularly acute or a particularly personal way. And one of the ways we can think about elders is that elders are meant to be like fathers in the church. A fatherly responsibility, a fatherly care, a fatherly concern for this body of Christ represented here. And that means that when something is happening in the body which is causing pain, which is causing suffering, when somebody's life is unraveling, when somebody gets cancer, when there's a tragedy, somebody dies, or when sin comes in and somebody's life just they just mess up their life because they've turned away from Christ and pursued sin. As an elder, there's a particular fatherly cost to that. There's a kind of suffering. And so, Andrew, Jeremy, you need to be steeled for that. That if Any relationship, you enter a relationship, it guarantees that you're going to experience pain. You get a puppy. One day that thing's going to die. You think, oh, cute puppy, it's so cute. You're going to suffer the pain. Any, any of you dog lovers, owners? It's a city, put it with dogs. We have dogs. We had, when we, we, when, uh, before the, our kids were born, we, we, we bought a, went on holiday in the Peak District and came home with, you should never do this, went on holiday in the Peak District, came home with a collie puppy. So cute. She lived for 15 years, good age for a dog, and then died. I cried like a baby. So embarrassing. Just couldn't stop crying about my dog that had died. Ridiculous. But that's what you commit to relationship, you also commit to pain. It's just how it works. And so for these men to say we're committing ourselves to be fathers in this congregation, that means you're also committing to experience suffering. But also commit to be partakers in the glory that is to be revealed. Because there's a special privilege for those who are elders. When stuff happens in church life, you get to see the good stuff as well. You get to have, 
You get an inner view of when God is working in people's lives. You get an inner view of when people are coming to faith. You get to be in situations where you share the gospel. You get to do what I'm doing now, to stand up and open the word of God. And I tell you, that is an amazing thing to be able to do. And so there is glory which you experience as an elder in the church. And so the expectation you two should have is to look for moments of the glory of God breaking in, in this church, amongst these people. That's how it works. And then he gives some instructions to the elders about what they're meant to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd. There aren't many sheep in Waterloo. But the Bible is full of these kind of images and these metaphors because, of course, the Bible is written in a much more agricultural society when the Bible talks about shepherds and flocks the original audience would have known what that meant they were more familiar with shepherds and with flocks they knew what sheep were Um, you might not even know what a sheep is you might not have seen one for a while Uh, there's lots of them in Dorset where we're from Um, shepherd the flock shepherd the flock of God that is among you what does a shepherd do if we do think about that term, we tend to think of shepherding in a very kind of English, idyllic, pastoral sense of green fields and wandering amongst the meadows, a little bow peep, lost a sheep, and all that kind of stuff. But that, that's, that's not the biblical imagery of shepherding, because this is a different kind of world, a tougher world. And the biblical shepherd had to be a tough person, because it was actually a dangerous job. It was physically demanding, it was hard work, out in the hot sun and in the cold winters, and it was dangerous because there were people who wanted to come and steal the sheep, and you'd have to fight those people to protect your flock. And there were bears and wolves and lions who wanted to come and eat your sheep, and so you had to fight off the bears and the wolves and the lions. And that is dangerous. And so actually to be a shepherd in this context is a kind of a, it's a, it's a courageous career choice. It's not something that you do for an easy life. It's something which requires real discipline and real vigor and real conviction and real toughness and so when Peter says to the elders shepherd the flock it, this, is, this is a call to men of courage and so we need to pray for Andrew and for Jeremy that they would be men of courage because shepherding takes some courage it's not always easy it's not always easy to, to shepherd the flock it can be difficult part of my urging to you would be try not to make life difficult for these guys But at times difficulties happen in church life and it takes real courage to kind of intervene. Reality is that sheep can get themselves into trouble. Sheep are kind of notoriously a bit dim-witted and tend to wander off and fall off cliffs and get themselves tangled up in thorns and roll over on their backs and find they can't get up and lie there bleeding. Ah, help me, help me. And as as a shepherd, it can take some kind of toughness to intervene and say, Don't go that way. Don't get yourself tangled up in those thorns. Don't wander off that precipice. Come this way. This is where life is. This is where health is. And so we need to pray for these men that they would be men of courage and of boldness because that's what a shepherd needs to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What do elders do? They exercise oversight. Now, that might be something which we don't respond to too well. Again, because in our culture, we don't really like the idea of being overseen because we like mutuality and flat structures, not hierarchies. 
exercise oversight. What does that mean in the context of the church? It does mean that although we're all equal, we're all called to be priests, we can all serve and minister before God, these men do have responsibility before God to exercise oversight. That means they have permission before God. They're meant to, actually. They're, tonight we're commissioning them to exercise authority, that there's a, a leadership role that they have, that actually they often will be the ones setting the pace, leading the charge, saying, let's do this, let's go this way. Church, this is what Jesus is calling us to now. Let's, let's go for this. This is the next hill that we need to tackle as a congregation together. And so these need to be men who know that they serve under Jesus, the chief shepherd, as his under-shepherds, but do have real authority. They're not here just to offer another opinion. When they stand up and say, let's do this, the right response of the flock is to say, okay. If there's reason they have to speak to you personally about things in your life, the right response is, is to say, okay, let me listen, not I won't listen. Who, how dare they? They dare because they're called by God as elders, as shepherds among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, not because they must, but willingly, as God would have you. Andrew, Jeremy, serve willingly, not because you must. The reality is that these guys don't have to do this. There's other things they could do. They're both qualified, capable, intelligent men. There are other options they could have pursued, other things they could do. They're not doing this because... They're a pair of losers who can't find any other job. <laughs> no, they're doing this as men who are high-caliber, high-quality men, not doing it under compulsion. And my urging to you would be to remember that because there are at times in leading churches and serving as an elder where at times it can, you can feel, do I really have to do this? Do I? Because it can be hard work. In it, month after month, year after year, you're called for the long haul as a faithful shepherd. It can be... It's demanding. Do it not under compulsion. Do it willingly. So for you, there's this need to keep your heart soft before Jesus. It's disastrous for churches if elders get hard-hearted, if, if elders start to do it because they have to, of just going through the motions of, I need to do this. and got to preach another sermon. got to go to another meeting. got to pastor somebody again. That's death for you, and it's death for the church. So keep your hearts soft to Jesus. Open to his spirit. Do this because you're willing to do it, not because you must. Not under compulsion, but because you can. Because you get to do it, not because you have to do it. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Probably not much chance for shameful gain in our context. Of course, in some contexts, that's the case. You see that in different places in the world, in different times of church history, where church leaders have just skimmed off all the money. Not here. Not domineering over those in your church, but being examples to the flock. See this balance that elders are called to have oversight, but they're not called to be domineering. And that that can be a very fine line. Because if you have authority, you can quickly become domineering. You can start to lead from a position of, this is my right. And so, sadly, we see that. We see in churches, as in every other human (coughs) Structure, all other institutions, you see examples of abuse, you do. Where church leaders become domineering and exercise an authority wrongly, become controlling, become 
manipulative. And that's not, that's how it's, it's not to be like that here. It's not to be like that with you. Not domineering over those in your charge. How are you to lead? You're to lead by example. There's a, this is a serious thing for Andrew and for Jeremy because the leadership of God's people is to be a leadership of example, not a leadership of position. We're recognizing them as elders this evening, but they don't lead from a particular position they're being given. They lead as those who are examples. That calls for a, an integrity, an authenticity about the way that you live, the things you do, the way that you speak, the thoughts that you have. And this is because in the end we're accountable to God. It says in Hebrews that those who lead in God's church have to give an account to the chief shepherd, have to give an account to Jesus, that one day you, I, will stand before Jesus and have to give an account for the way in which we have led in the church. You don't want to be found wanting. You want your example to be one which is worth following. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's good news. Because a lot of what I've said can seem pretty daunting and pretty heavy. Who'd want to be an elder? I mean, who would want to be an elder? Someone who wants to receive the unfading crown of glory. To be rewarded by Jesus for the way in which you've served. That's how Andrew and Jeremy are to lead. But Peter doesn't finish there. He then speaks to the others. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Younger. Elder. This word elder can be a confusing one because it's not a word we use generally in society. Sometimes talk about the people sometimes talk about the elders. There can be kind of different groups who are recognized as having particular wisdom, and they are normally older people who have experience. And in the churches which were started in the Mediterranean by the first Christians, and probably there was those more kind of family structures, and I guess the elders often were probably slightly older guys that they proved themselves as husbands and fathers and in life, and so they were recognized as elders, and they were older elders. It's not always like that. It's not like that here. This is a young church, young in how long it's been going, and it's young generally in the age profile of the church. And so uh, these guys are not old, but probably actually in relation to the congregation, they're elder, probably to most people. (laughs) But what, what the Bible the picture the Bible paints isn't that elder isn't simply about being older. You don't get to be an elder simply because you hit 40 or 50 or 60. You get recognized as an elder because of the quality of your character and the call of God upon your life. And so when Peter says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, there probably is in this context something of those who are physically, in age terms, younger, be subject to your elders. But I think he's also speaking about those who are kind of younger in terms of the faith don't have the same responsibilities in the church. And he does say, be subject. And again, this can kind of stick in our throats. Be subject. I'm not so, I'm a free man. I'm not subject to anyone. Be subject to the elders. There's meant to be an order in church life. Now to be subject, certainly in, the, in biblical terms, doesn't mean to be under subjection. That's different because the leadership these guys give isn't meant to be, it's not to be a leadership that's domineering. It's a leadership of example. 
And so when he says be subjects, it's more kind of like thinking on the hoof because this isn't a prepared message, this is off on the hoof. It's, it's someone that you want to, you're, you subject yourself to someone who you really admire, you want to emulate. So in the workplace maybe there's a work colleague who's just really good at what they do and you think, I, I want to be like them. You're making yourself subject to them. Or maybe you're doing some kind of sporting activity and you want to be subject to someone who's better than you because you can learn from them. Or some other area of life where you just admire somebody and you recognize their authority in that thing, their expertise, and you I want to be like them. I, you, you're making yourself subject to them because you're wanting to learn. And that's what Peter is urging of us here, that be subject to the elders. These men are recognized because of the quality of their character, the call of God upon their lives. And so you're to seek to emulate them, to be like them, to work alongside them in the task that God has given you here at Grace Church in London. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble man. That's such an important verse, such an important instruction. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's one of those verses that's quoted in in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's important. It's important. I love the imagery here. Clothe yourselves with humility. It's a very graphic, very physical. Put it on. You kind of, you have to, you deliberately put your clothes on. You have to think about it. Maybe you don't think about it too much when you wake up in the morning and you're bleary-eyed, but you have to, I need to put the right thing. I don't put my socks on my head. I put my socks on my feet. Clothe yourself. And there's a kind of intentionality about this. You clothe yourself in humility. And the instruction is, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Elders and the congregation. This is to be a congregation that is defined by humility. And humility is different from lack of confidence. You can sometimes think that, so that to be humble means that you're kind of very deferential and very lacking in confidence and wouldn't ever risk anything. That's, that's not what biblical humility is. Humility is where you recognize that Apart from the grace of God, you'd have nothing, you'd be nothing. That all you have and all you are, all you can do is a result of God's grace gift to you. It's all dependent upon him. Every breath that you take, everything that you accomplish, anything that you do, anything you own, it's all because of Jesus and his grace that's given to you. You clothe yourself with humility and that affects how you treat one another, affects how you treat other people. It affects the culture of the church. It actually allows the church to be mature and healthy and fruitful. That rather than being proud in how we handle one another, we're humble. And that's difficult in our world because our world doesn't do humility. Our world values certain things, talks about tolerance and equality and diversity. But actually, those things aren't true humility. Those things actually at times can be very shallow and very false. And we all know what it's like because we live in a world which doesn't... You don't get ahead by being humble. You get ahead by presenting the best version of yourself you can be. And so you manipulate your Facebook profile to look better than you actually are. And you selectively update and you post the stuff which you want other people to see so that you feel a bit better about yourself and they feel a bit worse about themselves. And, that why, and that's why everybody who spends too much time on social media always ends up feeling depressed because it looks like everybody else is having a better life than you are. They're eating at better restaurants and they're having better relationships and they're going on better holidays and their job's better because the whole time we're selectively updating about ourselves 
to look better about ourselves, to make us feel better about ourselves. Why? Because that's pride. And Peter says to us, don't be proud, clothe yourselves with humility. Be honest, be truthful. Church is the place where we should be able to be really truthful, truly authentic. When I was here last year, I spoke about authenticity. One of the things about the way that we talk about authenticity in our culture is it can, it can often be something which actually is quite broken. We, to be authentic is to be humble. And humility enables you to be authentic, to be yourself, and to step into what Christ has for you. A humble Christian isn't cowed and bowed down and diffident, lacking in confidence. A humble Christian has great courage, great boldness, great faith. Why? Because we know it's all about the grace of Jesus Christ. Who am I? Not very much. Who is Jesus, Lord of all? Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. I'm in communion with God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means I'm not very much myself, but because of Christ working in me, through him I can do all things. Humility creates honesty, and it creates courage, and it creates boldness. creates authentic authenticity. So clothe yourself with humility, because God opposes the proud. You don't want to be opposed by God. That's not a good way to go. So Andrew, Jeremy, don't be proud, be humble. Grace Church, don't be proud, be humble. Be confident and full of the presence of God and full of his spirit and full of love and full of life and full of joy and full of something which speaks to this crazy city of London about the reality of who God is and what that means and what life in him can look like and why that is good news. Be humble, be authentic. I think that will do. <laughs> Anything else I wanted to say? Let me just look at the notes I was going to preach from. I think that will do. See, because it's unprepared, it was shorter than this morning. How was that? Thank you. As we, as, actually, as we're a slightly smaller congregation, I'm, still, I'm amazed by how many people are here this evening. As we, and we've got a little bit of time, just completely off-piste. Uh, if there's any questions about what I've said, anybody would like to ask before we move on to praying for Andrew and Jeremy uh, and recognising them as elders, anything you'd like to ask about or question? Or... No, it's fine. Okay. Good. Well, let's move on to praying for them. Andrew and Jeremy, join me. So what we've spoken about, what I've read and, and opened up from First Peter 5, there are some really serious things here for you guys. Your responsibilities before God and before these amazing people. There's also some uh, responsibilities for you. Part of, part of, actually part of the reason for recognising eldership is it, it helps sort out everything else out in church life. So one of the things which will need to happen here is to kind of clarify who really is part of this church. It's very easy, especially in a place like London. Everybody's coming and going, moves in, moves out. You can just kind of drift through church life. 
But because this is a family, this is a body, this is a flock, it's really important that the elders of the flock know who their sheep are, know who's part of it. And so that, that means that at some point there needs to be a way in which that's expressed, that those of you are saying, this is really my church, this is where I belong, that somehow that's expressed, and that's expressed to one another. So that's one of the things I think you're going to be working towards, isn't it? Working out how, how to do that. And uh, so we're not at that place yet, and I know some of you might only be here for one after this evening, but I'm going to ask these guys to make some promises before God, and I'm going to ask you as a congregation to make some promises as well. And it does feel a little bit like a wedding doing this, because kind of asking them to make some vows, and asking you to make some vows, and it's, um, which can, in our world, it feels that's a bit strange, don't, don't normally do this in normal life, uh, but I, but the, the, the wedding kind of imagery is actually really helpful because there's a, there's a kind of a seriousness about what we're doing tonight that these men and their wives and you are making serious promises before God, which God is hearing and will hold us all accountable for. So don't promise what you don't intend to deliver because God will hold us to account. Uh, But there's also an incredible joy about this, because what we're doing today does mark this wonderful transition, finishing off something which was left unfinished, that Grace Church, a new church, now stepping into a new maturity with elders in place. So there's kind of a somberness and a joyfulness about what we're doing, and that's what weddings are meant to be like. Weddings are meant to be serious affairs, but they're also meant to be joyful. It's different from a wedding, because this isn't binding for life. So I know these men are very committed to this church and being here, but there might be a time at some point in the future where God calls one or other, both of them elsewhere. And similarly with you, chances are because of where you live and the kind of things you do, because this is London and you're young, God will call you elsewhere at some other time. You should move to Paul because it's a great place to live. (laughs) And when you start having kids, you want to come and live by the sea and see the sheep. It's a great place to be. So you can move to, move to Paul in a few years' time. So, so the promises you're making are kind of not binding you forever, but they are serious in terms of the kind of commitments that, that we're asking one another to make. Does that all make sense? Good. Right. Let me remind you again what Peter says. Be shepherds of the flock. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Guard, guide, and govern this church with faithfulness. I'm going to ask some questions, which they've already said yes to this morning, but they're going to say them again. Hopefully they haven't changed their minds since this morning. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask one in one bunch this time, and then you can affirm at the end. Andrew and Jeremy, as elders, will you seek to grow in your gift of leadership, to lead in grace and knowledge, giving yourself first to the Lord and then to the church? Will you model a Christ-like attitude as an under-shepherd of this flock? Will you oversee the flock and encourage the struggler and the weak and the timid, as well as fighting off wolves and bringing discipline? Will you be willing in good times and bad to set the flock an example in faith, love, and purity to feed and nourish these sheep to God's given maturity? Will you resist leadership by manipulation or control, 
Leadership that seeks to gain material wealth or has man-pleasing at its center. Will you work as part of a team, honoring one another as a band of brothers? And lastly, will you live in the light of two days? This day, giving yourself to lead this church, and that day when the chief shepherd appears and you receive a crown that will never fade. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Grace Church, would you stand? Just like a wedding, you see. (laughs) Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And verse 17 of that chapter says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. So, five questions for you. Will you receive these men as under-shepherds of the great shepherd, King Jesus? Will you remember them before God in your prayers? Will you willingly give yourselves to their teaching and leadership as they preach the word of God? Will you imitate their walk in faith, seeking to implement in your lives all that is spiritual and of faith? And will you submit, even when it is difficult, to the godly authority they bring so as to make their work a joy? I now proclaim you man and wife. No. (laughs) That was very good. Excellent. Uh, Jen and C, come and join us as well. Uh, Both these uh, men are married. You don't have to be married to be an elder. Um, although that is probably the kind of typical kind of pattern. I've got my wife Grace with me, we've been married for 24 years, and I know I'd have found it really hard at times to lead in the church without Grace helping me, shoring me up, uh, being some steel in my spine, encouragement to me. And uh, we're committed to husbands and wives working out mission together. And so as we recognize and pray for Andrew and for Jeremy, it's really important that we recognize and pray for. C and Jen as, as well. But, uh, these marriages need to be strong and they really need to be doing this stuff together. It just doesn't work. So we need to pray for the wives. Uh, there's no biblical position of wife of an elder. That's not how it works. Um, and how different couples work life and mission out looks different according to the kind of couple they are and the kind of personalities they have and the gifts and the call that they have. But it's really important that C and Jen hold the church in their hearts just as Andrew and Jeremy do. And uh, they are together as couples in this. So it's right that we pray for the four of them together in that way. Ask for God's blessing upon them in their marriages. Um, obviously, Jen is about, to, well, about not, not right now, that would <laughs> be awkward. Uh, ten weeks, uh, Jeremy and Jen are entering a new phase. Uh, again, it's kind of really powerful, it's good picture of, of, of all that's happening is a maturity that married life having kids it's great it's how it should be and so we want to pray for blessing for them as they become parents as well and uh, pray for Andrew and C in their family life that would be rich and full of the grace of God as well so let's pray for them Grace would you come and join me is there a mic Can you, is that one alright grab that one any life group leaders and anyone else who wants to get involved, it'd be great to come and pray. What we do is, as Bible instructors, to lay on hands. 
Um, and again, this might seem a little bit odd to us, you lay on hands, but the Bible is full of kind of instructions about how we physically are to engage with one another. And that's because what we're doing is not all just stuff in the sky, Christianity. No, it's physical, it's embodied. Jesus was a real man who died a real death. He's really alive today. And uh, we lay hands on expectation of impartation of blessing and of power. So as an elder, I'm going to pray for these guys, lay my hands on them, praying that anything that God has given me might be imparted to them. But all of us as part of the body, can we lay hands on one another as a sign of our unity, of our oneness, of expectation that God works through us. We're filled with the Spirit of God. When we put hands on one another, it's not kind of some magical force being transferred, but we, we believe that God does move through us to bless one another and equip one another. So I want us to lay hands on and pray and uh, ask for God's blessing, God's favor, God's equipping, God's anointing, that uh, the way in which Andrew and Jeremy lead might kind of take a step up because of what we do today, this public recognition and appointing of them. So can we do that? So what I'd like is if uh, uh, Grace can pray first, then if we could have another two, three, four of those of you who come up, lead in prayer for these guys, and then I'll pray as we finish. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this wonderful day. I want to thank you for this being the start of further expansion, further expression of your grace, uh, further expression of your kingdom moving forward. Lord, we just want to thank you for the privilege that it is to to take a position of leadership within the church. Thank you that it is a privilege and it's an honour. But also, Lord, you are the Lord of everything. You are the chief shepherd and you will give wisdom and strength and grace to these men and to their wives and their families. You will shepherd them mm. so that they can shepherd these people. You will give them everything they need. You've called them and you will not be short in what you give them. You will give them all the wisdom they need. So we come in confidence and ask you to pour wisdom for every day, every situation beyond their years, wisdom for their family life, wisdom for their marriages, wisdom for leading the church and strategy and for vision that you would give them everything that they need. And Lord, I pray for the church as well, with that word of submission, that they would gladly put themselves in that position of learners and listeners. Mm. They would willingly have the joy of following the leadership of this church. It would be a joy. And they'd realize that it will benefit them as a church to listen and to run. When, when, when the men say, this is where we're going, everybody signs up and uh, everyone gladly runs with them. I do pray for that, Lord Jesus, that there'd be this wonderful harmony in this church, that they would be an easy people to lead, um, that it would be fun and uh, there would be a real sense of community in this place as well. Thank you, Lord. Yes, uh, as an elder with my fellow elders, I pray for you that you would be uh, men who are ready to suffer for the sake of Christ, have courage that you wouldn't be those who turn tail and flee when things get difficult, but that you'd have a boldness, a courage, a resoluteness about you. And I pray also that you would be those who partake in the glory of Christ, that you would know that. I pray that in your 
leadership here in this church, there'll be moments of such glory when you know the presence of God here, when you see transformation in people's lives, when you get a vision of what God can do through this congregation in this place, what he can do even here in this great city, of what can happen through this church, of this little company of people, all the potential that is here, all that can be done. I pray for moments of glory when you know the, the reality, that the, the burning presence of God filling your eyes and hearts and minds and souls. I pray that you would be men of real integrity, men of true authenticity, that... Uh, Thank you, Lord, that these guys don't have to be perfect. Not saying they have to be perfect and can never mess anything up. Lord, we know that they will mess things up at times because they're humans. Thank you, there's grace in those moments. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect because we know that you are perfect. And your perfection is sufficient for us, Lord. I pray for you, Andrew, Jeremy, that you would know the perfections of Christ. And that you would keep your eyes fixed on him and that you would draw the eyes of others. I pray that what characterizes your, your service, your ministry here, would be a drawing of the gaze of people to the perfection of Christ Jesus. That you would lift people's heads. I pray that those who are wandering away, those who are tangled up in thorns, that you'd be skillful shepherds who'd untangle and set right and point people again towards the perfections of Christ Jesus. So, Pray that you would that you would lead diligently, not because you have to, but because you get to, not because you must, but willingly. I pray that in this church there would be a, a, a mutual joyfulness about things. That elders and congregation together would be clothed in humility in the way that you act towards one another, and this church would be characterized by joy, by a sense of happiness in God. And that you two would know that. I pray for you as you work together and as you work with the other guys in the team and with your wives and with your kids and as you look to grow the team and as you make plans for the future of where this church might be, I pray that you would know the hand of God and the joy of God. I pray that you'd know the, the lightness of his, of his yoke, which isn't burdensome, but actually carries you. We pray, Lord, for your anointing. Holy Spirit, would you come and anoint these men? pray. Thank you for all that's in them, for all their history, for all their experience, all their gifts. But we pray now, Holy Spirit, for a fresh anointing and equipping and empowering. They might serve in a, with a, a, a kind of fresh edge, a, 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 a bigger capacity as a result of what we're doing this evening. That this, they would be mature and this church would be mature and out of this church many wonderful things would happen. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Round of applause, I think.